nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And um, today, we are, our topic today is RN to Political Public Servant. So, um, nursing is a profession that can lead to service in many other industries. Uh, I recently heard about a study of employers who put the skills of nurses in the top 10 of what they're looking for in employees. So we should not be surprised to see that many nurses have gone on to lead a life of service in politics. We will be talking today to two nurses who have spent their lives in public service. Barbara Johnson has served the Minneapolis City Council for a total of 32 years, most recently as its president for 12 years. My other guest, Erin Murphy, has been deeply involved with the Minnesota Nurses Association for many years and is currently a Minnesota state representative and running for governor of Minnesota in November 2018. This will truly be a dialogue about passion and service in healthcare and politics and how being a nurse adds phenomenally to that work while providing a perspective that enhances the nurse's contribution. So I am eager to welcome my guests, um, Barbara, could you uh, just give us a quick bio so that the listeners can get a connection to your voice? Uh, thank you, Leanne. Um, actually, <clears throat> I, uh, I served on the Minneapolis City Council for 20 years, 12 of which I was a city council president. Um, right. I added I, those together. <laughs> pardon me? You I know, added 20 and 30. Yeah. Uh, 20 uh, and 12. Right, right. Um, but I uh, recently uh, left office. Uh, I was defeated in election, so I left. And um, I, uh, before I went on the city council, I was a nurse and uh, am still a nurse. I've kept my license up. Uh, my time on the city council has really been um, um, very varied, um, sometimes with very uh, uh, harsh uh, financial challenges, you know, through the recession. Um, and then also what I would kind of describe right now is uh, somewhat of a boom time for the city of Minneapolis, um, and uh, that that has been um, you know something that I've worked through in my in my career uh, in in public office. Great. So, Representative Murphy, could you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into nursing, and how did you get from nursing into politics? I'm really glad to join you today, and to join uh, Barbara, and to join your listeners. You know, I chose nursing uh, while I was in college. It was not uh, why I went to school. I, you know, I went to school. I thought I would be a teacher um, or a social worker and ended up choosing nursing in part because uh, I like science a lot and really because I care a lot about people and wanted to find that uh, combination of the rigor of nursing and uh, that, it, uh, you know, that uh, part of me that wanted to bring uh, that to the care of people. 
And nursing has been, uh, for me, just a phenomenal career. Uh, so for those who are listening who are thinking about it, it is uh, a place, uh, a career, a profession that provides all sorts of uh, avenues and opportunities uh, in terms of a, a lifetime's worth of work. Uh, and for me, it has always been uh, a connection uh, that I care deeply about. I grew up in a family that liked politics, and I practiced nursing first in a rural hospital in Wisconsin um, after I graduated from school and saw there taking care of people with chronic conditions, their their frequent return to the hospital. It made me wonder what was happening outside of the walls of the hospital, and it made me wonder about what I could do about that when I thought about the care of people. And that is where I found the intersection between nursing and policymaking and politics. And so it was very early in my career, and it's something that I have uh, continued to do. And like, um, like Barbara, I, I have maintained my license. I teach now uh, at the University of St. Catherine. Uh, but nursing has been a continual thread through my uh, career, both in the practice of nursing, my work for the union, and now my work as a policymaker and as my, in my candidacy as a governor. Wow, that's that's very encouraging. I'm glad that you brought in that point uh, that nursing leads to many, many, many roads. Um, that's one of the things that's the whole point of this uh, um, radio show is just to really help people understand that it, that it is not um, boring at all because you really can make it your own and you can really take it in whatever direction Um touches your heart, and you certainly both have uh, shown how that happens. Um, Barbara, I was just curious, because I, I think you uh, followed your mother into the city council. Was she a nurse also? Uh, actually, I'm really the first uh, nurse in my family for a generation. And, how about that? Um, but, but I'll tell you, it's interesting to listen to Erin, because I came from a very political family also. And, you know, I think that's part of uh, you know what you you learn about people's concerns, and you, and you want to be to make a difference. And my mother really encouraged me into, to go into nursing because, exactly like Erin, I really liked sciences when I was in high school, and I was good at it. And that is uh, key, I think, to you know getting through a very rigorous nursing education. You have to be able to get through those tough science classes. So my mom encouraged me. Um, I uh, attended um, a community college and uh, was actually in the first graduating class from that uh, community college, Anoka Ramsey Community College, and, really? um, you know, found that at the time, um, you know, the, the salaries were comparable with uh, someone that would be uh, coming out of school for a two-year grad uh, uh, with someone that would be coming out of school to be a teacher. So there was that uh-huh. incentive also uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, make that a career. Uh, but I, I truly did love um, uh, the education. I, to this day, uh, somebody asked me the other day, uh, you know, just in a social setting, what does osseous mean? And I knew what that <laughs> meant, you know. Yeah. I haven't practiced as a nurse for almost 20 years. So mm-hmm. uh, it just, it opens a whole other door to you uh, for uh, uh, being a participant in your community. Right. Um, both of you mentioned that whole concept of, of um, the importance of what goes on in the community prior to people coming into a medical or healthcare um, situation. Erin, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, 
why it's important for our government to put investment into the medical industry? So, you know, I, I ran for office back in 2005 after I took care of my mom at the end of her life. And my mom and dad had worked, you know, hard like so many families do, and they had earned a good life and had good health care coverage. And when my mom was real sick, um, she still had to fight to get some of the care she needed because the insurers were denying it. And for so many years in my work with the Minnesota Nurses Association, I had been working to make sure people had access to good coverage. And then, uh, like too many people, experienced um, that uh, break between coverage and actually getting the care that you needed. And that um, it really did make me angry and it motivated me to run. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I think about um, the health of people, you know, and I, I, you know, came into the legislature in 2006 wanting to fix the health care system. Uh, and if you want to fix for the health of people, you have to think more broadly than the health care system. And you have to think about a good job and mm-hmm. a clean environment and transportation, a safe place to live, good education, those building blocks that support uh, people and families in communities. Um, and so when I think broadly about health and a healthy population and the health of people, uh, I uh, know that we need to talk about more than how we pay for care. Um, we have to think about how we deliver care, and we have to think about the ways in which people live their lives. And one of the reasons why I was seeing patients that I was caring for um, leaving the hospital and then returning is because there were circumstances outside of the walls of the hospital that were driving people back. Um, into a state where they were sick enough that they needed to come back to the hospital. And that continues to be the case um, when we think about care delivery, not reaching out to people. And we've made some progress on that idea that as care providers, we need to, you know, reach to people with chronic conditions. And there are some really great examples of that now in Minnesota, in Hennepin County, in rural communities when we think about healthcare homes. Uh, but if our aim is healthy people, um, it does require a system change um, and the voices of people and the experience of people like nurses and others who work in the community um, to build out that system that assures that people and we're working to, uh, in pursuit of health and not just treating um, sickness. That's great. <clears throat> Barbara, from the city point of view, you were in the city of Minneapolis City Council. Um, how did that whole concept Uh, impact the work you were doing? Well, I always uh, valued um, the providers uh, in the services that they offer in our city. And, you know, we have some specialty hospitals that attract people from all across the state, all across uh, the multi-state region, actually, for specialty care. And um, it, it always was in the back of my mind when, you know, one of the hospitals would come to us about doing an expansion uh, or, you know, adding a particular type of service, uh, asking us um, to uh, uh, sell bonds for some of their uh, improvements, that it was uh, a place where uh, a huge percentage of the people who live in the city of Minneapolis actually work in the healthcare industries. And, you know, I'd worked in enough uh, healthcare settings in the city. I worked at... uh, uh, Hennepin County Medical Center at Fairview uh, Riverside, um, University of Minnesota, Fairview. Uh, and um, uh, so I, I knew how valuable those uh, jobs were. And so for me, it was um, important, you know, that we maintain that health care um, 
uh, employment base uh, in our city. And so I, was, I would always try and be helpful to uh, the healthcare institutions, um, you know, if they wanted to expand or add a different service. Right. One of the things that I've appreciated um, about the um, healthcare industry um, is the fact that they seem to be pretty constantly um, thinking about their employees on every level. So even entrance level employees have good benefits. Um, many times if they're um, near to full-time or full-time, they have uh, health benefits. Um, they're looking out for those things. Of We don't want people coming into work when they're sick. And um, so we know that they need to have some way to be able to stay home and still get paid. And I think that is says a lot for the healthcare organization. So I should say organizations. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> with the healthcare um, things, and we're, and we're talking about a lot of the things that happen uh, away from healthcare, what, one of the things I'm hearing is that we may be going in the future to more techn- technological uh, care for people and where people will stay more in their homes. Is that anything either of you have heard about happening in Minnesota? Well, I would say, um, you know, you do hear about the ability to um, be diagnosed uh, over Skype, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so the services are somewhat more available to people in um, outstate Minnesota. So you might be able to, to avoid a trip into the cities to see a particular specialist if you have a, a problem. And, you know, I think medical um, um uh, people in the medical industry are always looking for ways to try and um, get services to people who find it hard to get in. Um, but again, it, you know, uh, thinking about how people access health care, it certainly is the direct care, the direct service that, you know, is the ultimate um, um, interaction that you have uh, with the health care system. Yeah, that seems to be the case. And many times that's a scary connection. Um, Erin, anything you want to add in there? I would. I, you know, I think that there is um, a growing need for uh, telehealth, uh, telemedicine, and the broadband. Uh, we need to invest in broadband statewide to make sure that uh, across the state of Minnesota there is access to uh, what would be uh, uh, access to specialists, especially specialists, uh, so that people don't always have to drive to Minneapolis or St. Paul or to Rochester to get that high-quality care. But correspondingly, I think it's important to recognize that across our tall state, there are people aging in place, um, living in sometimes distance, far distance from their family members, and there are things that we need to do to make sure that we're prepared um, as we are aging and we've got, you know, a baby boom generation that's starting to leave the workforce, uh, and we're going to need to pay attention to these things as well. So, yes, broadband, yes, telehealth, but also earn sick and safe time so family members can care for their cherished elders, uh, like I was able to do care for my mother when she was at the end of her life. Um, I think that's an important policy for families, um, and it honors um, the work that we do to support um, the birth of our children um, and uh, the, 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 the experiences that our parents are having in the sandwich generation. Uh, but also, I think, as, as Barbara mentioned, that hands-on piece, that human interaction that comes um, through nursing, 
uh, should be enhanced as well. And I am uh, very interested in continuing to expand things like public health nursing and parish nursing, block health, block, block, um, uh, block grant nursing, um, that we've seen those models very successfully support people in living independently in their homes, community health workers that are culturally seated um, that help bring the healthcare delivery system to people or people to the healthcare delivery system when they need it. Um, those uh, less expensive interventions um, and system uh, expansions are going to be useful for us in the next decade or two um, to make sure that people are being able to live independently and at home as they choose for as long as possible. Uh, you make a good point about the expense or the lack of expense of it. Um, being able to connect with uh, uh, people at the earliest stages of illness um, is certainly uh, less expensive in that immediate care, but also long-term, the longer they go. And you know this, we'll, we'll maybe come back after the break here and talk about that a little bit more about uh, once people are coming in at the um, high level of their already chronically uh, and maybe even fatally uh, ill uh, the chance, the, the chances that it's going to cost an extreme amount either to an insurance provider and/or to the um, community. So let's uh, take a break here and then come back in um, just a few minutes. We are here at Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, your host, and I'm talking to uh, Barbara Johnson from the Minneapolis, uh, most recently from the Minneapolis uh, City Council. And uh, Representative Aaron Murphy, who is currently a state representative and now running for the governor of Minnesota in November 2018. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Yes, this is Leanne Meyer, and we're back with Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. This show today is uh, called RN to Political Public Servant, and I'm here today with Barbara Johnson, who has most recently served on the Minneapolis City Council as president for the last 12 years, and Representative Erin Murphy, who is currently a Minnesota state representative and running for uh, governor in Minnesota this year. So um, what I wanted to talk to now is one of the things I realized is that what we learned in nursing school seems to become such a deep part of who we are, that wherever else we go, we bring it with us. And I'm curious if you could each talk a little bit about how that has played out in your politics. Should I, sure. oh, I should have said, I'm sorry, Barbara. <laughs> yeah, Barbara. All right. Um, you know, I've spent most of my nursing career in uh, mental health. I actually worked for the Veterans Administration for a stretch when I was a, a really young woman, and then uh, later on at uh, uh, Fairview uh, and Hennepin County Medical Center. And I think one of the things that you learn, and it, it is, uh, I think, part of being a good nurse is learning how to be a good listener and also uh, respecting what people tell you. So you take what people tell you at, uh, at face value uh, that they're telling you their experience and you listen to them and you, and you try and understand where they're coming from. And that skill, I think, uh, was, was uh, helpful to me in political life. Uh, it also, I, I will tell you, we, um, years ago, uh, probably eight or nine years ago, our police officers started what we called uh, the crisis intervention training, and that was something that I had seen at Hennepin County Medical Center. Um, the program that I worked in were operated out of the crisis intervention center, which is where people who had uh, mental health emergencies were brought uh, all those years ago. And so uh, we had a very unfortunate situation in Minneapolis where a lady who was in a um, uh, psychotic episode uh, uh, lunged at a police officer and um, she was shot and killed. Uh, she had a knife. And we worked with um, a citizens group and the Barbara, Barbara Schneider Foundation. Her name was Barbara Schneider. Uh, and trained our officers all those years ago um, to be crisis, to have crisis intervention training. And now that program is has expanded. All of our officers have been trained in crisis intervention training, 
and uh, other uh, communities are uh, uh, being involved in that training as well. And the legislature has funded uh, police officers across uh, the state of Minnesota to get that very vital training. And uh, Aaron, I am. Um, I love that story, Barbara. I know that uh, I know about Barbara Schneider and the work that that's been un- yes. underway since that incident. I think that's just really impressive. Um, your connection to that. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember in my very early practice, the first time I took care of somebody who had a heart attack, coded on the unit, and I was a. I worked overnights in a, a big hospital um, in a rural community, and there were just two of us, two nurses that night, and. Um, so you have to do your job, and I was a pretty new nurse, and um, so I did my I, I did you know CPR, and we called the code, and the code team came, and when I finally um, was able to um, leave that moment, right, the adrenaline that I felt inside of me was overwhelming, um, and it taught me right the powerful tool of staying very calm and focused in that kind of a crisis situation. And that has been an amazing uh, tool that I have used over and over again um, as a policymaker when uh, things are escalating, when tempers are flaring. Um, It has been a place for me not only to find a path forward, but also uh, to stay very focused in the work that I need to do. And often in our politics, um, you know, the heat of the moment can really undermine our ability to uh, strike a deal, to further a negotiation, to make some progress. So that part of the nursing in me, that part of nursing me has been really, really useful. Um, I know as a nurse, um, and anybody that's listening knows that you don't have the choice to walk away from a tough situation when you're taking care of a patient. You have to stick with it. Um, You have to make decisions. You have to create options. And I've also brought that with me to policymaking. And I think in our politics today, it is really easy uh, for the body politic to say that that issue is too hard. We'll just wait. We'll not deal with it right now. We'll wait until there's another election. We'll wait until there's a different group of people in power. And then we'll get to it. And what's getting lost in that is our future, Minnesota's future. And that's no good for us, and it is, uh, I think, one of the things, uh, one of the strengths that I bring to this race is a real determination that we have to create options. We have to make progress. Um, and just like when I was taking care of patients, um, I won't walk away from a tough issue in Minnesota. I won't walk away from Minnesotans, um, which is one of the reasons why I believe um, I'm in such a strong position and believe that I will be elected um, for that very reason, that Minnesotans understand my commitment to them and might fight for them. That's great. You mentioned also de-escalating, and I know that um, I, I also uh, teach an R and Refresher course, and just uh, this past Saturday we were talking about conflict resolution and de-escalation, and I think that uh, so often that can happen when you're in such a fiery situation. You know, either I know the, the city council can be very fiery, and also definitely the legislature is, um, where somebody is becoming very... Um, overtly angry, frustrated, talking out. Are, is that something you've been able to utilize too in those two situations um, of helping somebody tone down the level of fear or anger or frustration that they're experiencing? Barbara? 
Well, I would say it isn't. I haven't experienced that so much from my colleagues as I have from, um, you know, conducting public hearings. That's what right. comes uh, to right. my mind when I when I think of people getting uh, somewhat out of control. But uh, uh, Aaron put it very, very well that your training and your um, ability to go back uh, to uh, an established protocol, uh, a calm voice. Uh, good eye contact, uh, all of those sorts of things manage to get uh, someone uh, who is really, you know, escalating out of control. Um, you can get back, uh, get to them, I guess, uh, and, ha- and get their attention and try and uh, calm the situation. So I would say mm-hmm. that that's, that's been really useful to me over the years as president because I have had to conduct many, mm-hmm. many, many public hearings and um, you know, have had those kind of things happen. Right. And Erin? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have, uh, you know, I, I just think those those people come to the political arena uh, often come with strong opinions and strong perspectives and strong values, and it can sometimes get uh, difficult and, you know, being able to recognize how that's happening and ways to uh, intervene uh, to try and keep us on track uh, is a way to advance, from my perspective, the basics of our democracy and to make sure that um, voices are heard and they're really heard and not um, shut down, but also mm-hmm. um, maintaining our capacity uh, to be thoughtful uh, you know, I saw Governor Dayton do this once uh, at the very early part of his term. We had secured funding um, in the 2010 session to expand medical assistance as a result of our fight over general assistance medical care. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things Governor Dayton did uh, when elected was to sign the expansion and to allow extended coverage for people in medical assistance. And it was a really important moment for me. It was the result of a lot of work that I'd done in the year before that, and I was really happy to be there with him. And there were people who had very, very strong opinions because this was attached to the Affordable Care Act, um, and they were rallying outside his office, and he invited them in to the event and gave them space um, to say their piece uh, in that room. And you watched what looked like what was a careening event, people Mm -hmm. with very strong opinions kind of standing up against each other. You watch that tension go down as the voices of a disagreement were expressed or Mm -hmm. expressed in a respectful way, and we move forward. And I I think that is something that we need a little bit more of in politics. It is right to feel strongly. I do, too. Um, But we can't let our strong opposition to one another so Mm -hmm. undermine our ability to find options and make progress. Right. And uh, I think that voice, um, that voice of um, mediation sometimes is really useful in pursuit of an outcome. Right. I know that um, it's so important for people to feel respected and to feel listened to, and both of you have mentioned that. Um, I'm wondering, you know, as you're talking about people coming from so many different parts of the state um, and so many different backgrounds, is that something that we need to do for new um, uh, legislators coming in uh, to teach them about conflict resolution and 
coming to a win-win situation or at the very least a compromise situation. Is that something, you know, I feel like nurses learn that as we go through our training and, you know, we keep that as we go through. But is that something that everybody gets when they come into um, dealing with the situations you find in politics? Um, I'm sorry, Erin. As I think of... um, you know, times when we've had big turnover on our uh, city council, you know, where you would have mm-hmm. a majority of uh, new council members. Um, that was one of the things that I tried to do was uh, explain to people because, uh, you know, when people are running for election, they're very focused on winning their election, um, and they get into the job, and uh, it's, it's kind of different, I think, sometimes being a city council member um, than what they thought it was. And so... That uh, lesson about how you do get along and how you can get things done, um, not by being kind of a lone ranger, um, is is a really important lesson for uh, new people newly in political office. And I've always enjoyed, you know, working with uh, new new council members to kind of guide them in that direction. That. Uh, uh, you you really need to work with your colleagues, and even though you might differ ideologically with them, um, you you always want to be respectful and you want to listen to what they're saying, uh, because then they'll listen to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I can see you in that role that you would do a very good job, almost in a mentoring role for new people that might not know that. It's almost like it takes a whole different set of skills to campaign for the job as it does to do the job. Would you say that's true, Erin? This work requires a, you know, pretty broad skill set and different people bring different skills. You know, I serve with uh, 200 other legislators, 134 of us in the house and 67 in the Senate. So we're a wide variety of personalities and experiences and that's intentional um, in um, the way that Minnesota has uh, founded its government here, the we're a citizen legislature. Um, so we bring different skill sets. What I, what I worry about um, in Minnesota, even in my tenure in the legislature, I feel like we have moved uh, more in the direction of a kind of Washington, D.C. style of politics. Right. That is too much about um, winning the next election and uh, yeah. knocking down the other side and not enough about us and about our future and I hope that we can move uh, away from that and back in a direction about uh, building our future. I I think that's really important here in Minnesota. Um, I I believe that the skill set that, you know, I brought from the profession of nursing is one that's exceptionally useful in this work. Um, Nurses are are great problem solvers. Uh, We are oriented around making decisions because uh, that's a part of what we do when we're caring for somebody. We're good listeners and we're also good communicators explaining things that are often complex in ways that are um, more easily understood for people. Um, and I think those are important skills. It's one of the reasons why I'm always talking about nurses running for office because I think um, nurses are good at this, um, as good at this work and um, we need good people in office um, to facilitate their work. It seems like nurses know how to advocate for others also. Uh, not looking out just for their own uh, desires or their own uh, way of looking at it, but really able to look at a, a little bigger uh, piece of the pie and and saying uh, this is what's needed for the most number of people. So I can see where that would be a good idea. Do you know either of you just off the top of your heads um, 
are there other nurses that you know of in uh, the areas that you work? Um, Barbara? In my, in my 12 years in the Minnesota House, there have been many nurses that have served in really? the legislature. Um, That's so great. Many of them not there anymore. Karen Clark is a registered nurse. She's still in office. Um, and I serve with her in the house, but I also know that there aren't very many, uh, nurses that serve in the Congress. And if I were, when I am elected, I will be the first nurse that would serve in the position of governor, uh, really? anywhere in the country. Well, you'd be the first female too, wouldn't you? I'd be the first uh, woman that would be elected in the state of Minnesota. Oh, wow. Yes. I mean, I guess I was thinking in Minnesota, we're, um, getting close to a break. This seems like a good place to do that. And um, when they, we come back, I'd like to uh, talk about maybe what are the areas that you specifically see as a need, either in Minneapolis or in the state as a whole, um, that what you bring, the, the perspective you bring as a nurse, um, what are those areas that you especially think are important to work on? And so we will be back in just a couple of minutes. And this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. I'm Leanne Meyer, your host. I'm here with Barbara Johnson and with uh, Representative Aaron Murphy, and we will be back in just a few minutes. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. 
To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and you are returning to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. I'm really pleased to be able to have our topic today is about nurses going into um, politics and being public servants. And we have uh, Barbara Johnson here, whose uh, experience uh, in Minneapolis has been in the city council, and Representative Aaron Murphy, who is currently uh, serving as a state representative and is running for governor. We've been talking about a lot of different ways that nurses contribute and bring um, skills and abilities into politics. Um, I'd like to talk about a couple of things that we've um, recently talked about. Uh, in what ways do uh, does the work that you're doing support it? I, th- I think earlier, Barbara, you mentioned black nurses. I wondered if you could say a little more about that. Well, we um, are... Uh uh, every budget cycle, uh, we have a couple of community groups that come in um, to receive funding through community development block grant dollars um, to support uh, programs, and mostly actually for seniors, but it, it, both of them include a, a, a block nurse program. Um, and, and that's important. Um, it's been a service in, in those communities, and people really come in and say how important it is. And and it, it really is, um, you know, never been a, a hard decision to continue funding uh, for that kind of a program. But I also see the city um, in a role uh, that uh, needs to be supportive of um, uh, some of the work that's being done around um, job um, uh, development, workforce development. And we spend a lot of dollars on that, again, mostly federal dollars and state dollars that come through to the city, but to me, one of the important things to do is make sure that that whatever we do includes um, nursing and includes um, these careers where people are going to find employment uh, quickly uh, when they get through with that job training. So uh, the city's a partner in uh, Hennepin County's uh, career laddering program that they're doing, and uh, nursing is like the uh, prima facie case for career laddering, where mm-hmm. uh, people can come in and, and get um, uh, and skill, learn skills to be a nursing assistant, work their way up uh, to a nursing program, a two-year degree, and then a, and then two-year and then a four-year degree uh, after they've graduated from that two-year program. So I think that's and all the while supported by an employer, um, and it, it's really a, a, a textbook case of how. You know, you can bring people in at an entry-level job and move them up um, to a very successful career. Absolutely. And working within that, I guess it was a real surprise to me to get away from the healthcare industry and realize how many industries don't value that in helping their employees to, to move <clears throat> up a ladder or to be able to use their skills and expand on that. Mm-hmm. So, um, Aaron, tell me about how... Um, the state of Minnesota is um, involved in things like the opioid crisis? So we know that, uh, you know, Minnesotans uh, are experiencing uh, the opioid crisis significantly. Uh, it is especially expressed in indigenous populations in the Twin Cities and 
um, across rural Minnesota. Uh, it's devastating for uh, individuals who are indi- addicted. Uh, we know that uh, uh, heroin and other opioids are exceptionally lethal, and so uh, we've seen, you know, the ravages of this of this crisis in the loss of life. Uh, the legislature has responded to that, of course, with uh, creating better access to reversing agents like naloxone, which I think is important, but it doesn't really get to the root of the problem um, mm-hmm. and the issue of addiction and uh, uh, real ready access to uh, narcotics, uh, opioid narcotics uh, that are being prescribed to treat pain. Uh, I think that we would be well served if we uh, broke out of the bottle of 15-minute uh, visits with your physician or nurse mm-hmm. practitioner um, in the care and treatment of people because that 15-minute production visit doesn't necessarily give a provider enough time to intervene with somebody who's experiencing pain. Um, and if we had a little bit more time to evaluate, assess, and tr- create a, a, a treatment plan for people, for patients in our care, I think we would find better modalities besides the prescription of an opioid. I, I would like to see that happen. I also think we should invest a little bit more in uh, other uh, means of treating pain besides opioids. I will tell you, I am a supporter of recreational marijuana. Um, I think if the legislature passes that and they debate it well, I would I would sign that into law. And there is a lot of research that suggests that uh, people addicted to opioids for pain um, would uh, use a different a different uh, method, including uh, recreational cannabis, uh, to treat that pain, and it would reduce the use of opioids and reduce uh, the, the harm of that addiction. Um, and last, I'll say that we do need to continue to invest more both in the treatment of uh, people and addictions and in mental health care and rebuilding, again, a continuum of mental health treatment across the state of Minnesota. It is broken, um, and one of the results of that is a significant uptick in the use of uh, in this case, opioids, but other uh, illegal drugs um, to uh, treat the symptoms of uh, conditions. Uh, and uh, the result of that is a loss of life, um, addiction, uh, which is difficult for individuals and for families. Two things I'd like to add to that. Um, I uh, am a person who has had chronic pain for many years, 30 plus years, actually longer than that. And um it was a surprise to me when I started using some of the complementary medicines and um, therapies that those can be extremely effective. Uh, I think when you're in pain and you're feeling that acute pain, it, it's quite terrifying to think this is going to be for the rest of my life. And um, I think you're right that if uh, uh, the providers would have a little bit more time with the patient. They would have um, a, maybe an ability to be able to help them understand that they have a wide variety of choices and they're not really limited to just the pharmacological one. Um, I think once people get into that idea that they want that magic bullet to take the pain away in a few seconds, they get away from that whole idea of how much they can control their own pain which is extremely empowering, I know, from my own experience. Um, Another thing I was thinking of, uh, both with the mental health and with the um, addiction process or problems, uh, in my um, nurse refresher course uh, a couple of sessions ago, I had two students that decided to go to the American Indian Detox Center, and that's in Minneapolis. 
And uh, it was quite an eye-opener for them uh, to realize uh, it's, you know, the revolving door aspect of it where they're not, uh, there's so many people, the nurses and the therapists really can't give individual attention to any, any one of them. And so there is an element of they stay the hours or days or whatever they can stay there and then go out and actually um, go back to the substance that they were using just to be able to come back in and have, um, you know, a place to stay in the wintertime and three square meals, but really not changing the underlying problem. Erin, um, could you address that? Sure, I can. Hold on just one moment. Oh, okay. Or maybe, Barbara, do you want to talk sure. about it while she's... You know, I, I think that is, you know, that's really a challenge. We hear this actually from our firefighters, you know, that they will um, be called to treat uh, the same person, you know, maybe a day later uh, than their than their previous uh, overdose. And uh, the intervention, um, you know, that's needed is just not happening. And... Uh, as I said, I, in the past, I mean, I worked in the mental health system and I've watched a lot of the challenges and changes that have happened in the community system that was supposed to replace the state hospital system and the, right. you know, long-term veterans administration system uh, just never fully developed and was never fully funded. And that is, you know, that is what we're reaping today uh, right. with untreated mental illness, you know, in our community. Right. Um I'm thinking that you know the the we kind of look to the first uh, responders, those ambulance people, the uh, fire and police people, to be able to deal with this person who is either out of control um, yeah. uh, with a mental condition or mm-hmm. from taking uh, drugs, and kind of the same thing we're seeing in our schools, where we want our teachers to take care of issues that are so deep and so broad. It's just impossible to be dealing with that in the school and trying to teach at the same time. Erin, are you are you back? That the two most challenging professions right now are uh, police officers and uh, teachers in our mm-hmm. in our community because they are expected to take to take care of problems that are that are far beyond their reach. Right. Exactly. Erin, are you back? I am. I'm here. Thank you. Sure. Um, you know, Barbara describes that uh, so well, and we know there are people, and I have in my own experience as a nurse and as a policymaker encountered people who are dealing with um, uh, substance abuse issues and addiction or chronic and persistent mental illness who are in our uh, homeless shelters and they're in our jails, um, and they're living um, and experiencing homelessness uh, because of a lack of a coordinated and uh, continuous uh, mental health care system. Um, there isn't a continuum, really. Uh, it's broken here in the state of Minnesota. And uh, when we think about the commitment that was made many, many, many years ago when we closed facilities, which was to fund community-based care, that commitment has never been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And as a result, um, there are all sorts of people that um, don't necessarily have the training um, but have the responsibility for the, uh, you know, looking out for people who are struggling. And that includes in our schools. And, you know, that is, uh, you know, it brings to mind for me this debate that we're having right now in the wake of the Parkland shooting. 
Uh, and man, if that uh, doesn't wake you up, uh, I don't know what does uh, about the power of the NRA, um, their outsized voice uh, mm-hmm. in policy, and the young people standing up and saying, uh, BS to that, we're not interested in that. And the resulting debate about arming school teachers uh, to, to protect our kids is just uh, such a such a short, uh, well, it's a false, it's a false yeah. option um, from my perspective. And, you know, we need to be looking out for our, our students and this idea that, and I've heard this from so many educators, they, they can often uh, tell uh, when a student is struggling, mm-hmm. um, but there isn't much of a way to uh, call that out, you know, and we across this, the country now are having these discussions about red flag laws, about temporary orders of protection, um, mm-hmm. about the temporary removal of a gun from somebody who may be a danger to themselves or to others. And it is right for us to be having that discussion. Uh, we do need to uh, repair uh, the care for people with uh, substance abuse, with mental illness, for chronic conditions across the board. Uh, but the idea that um, we should just look to school counselors, our school teachers, our jailers uh, to care for people with uh, mental illnesses, an unfortunate outcome of a short-term investment in something that we need to build. Right, right. exactly. Um, yeah, there's uh, so many pieces of this. I, I really appreciate both of you outlining it uh, as well as you are. Um, I, I wish that uh, there's so many people who are looking at it. It's kind of like it's such a deep, big, broad difficult problem and it's so easy to come up with um, one solution that seems like it is you know the perfect solution um, but without knowing the whole uh, breadth of the problem uh, usually that easy solution is wrong and um, I think that's something we we get into we want that quick fix we want something that isn't going to be uh, hard for us to have to go through and think about and deal with we are actually at the end of this program. It goes so very fast, and I've really, really enjoyed talking with both of you. Um, as for our audience, uh, if you're just joining us at the end here, this has been Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, and I'm Leanne Meyer. We Our talk has been about nurses going into political service as a public servant, and um, we have uh, covered a lot of ground here. Um, Again, I want to appreciate my guest, Barbara Johnson, who has worked many, many years with the Minneapolis City City Council and worked on many of these issues, bringing her nursing uh, with her to the work that she's doing. And then also uh, Representative Erin Murphy, who has worked uh, with the Minnesota Nurses Association and currently with the Minnesota State Representative Um, and running for governor. I hope that you will be able to open up some dialogues on this topic as we get closer to the November election. I'm sure that you will. And thank you again for taking the time to do this. I truly appreciate it. And it's been a great, great show. Well, it's been a pleasure to be on. And thank you so much for the invitation. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been uh, a delight to talk with you both. Great. Thank you so much. And uh, we are off.
Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.